Hey everyone, happy Friday. It's Jeff Cross, your friendly host of Friends with Employee Benefits. We have a great episode for you here on virtual care and telemedicine, and we've got a great guest, Dr. Mary Mulcair. Dr. Mulcair is the Chief Medical Officer at Sumis Global, the a virtual healthcare uh, platform. So Dr. Mulcair is going um, to give you plenty of advice in terms of how to, how to get your employees to continue using and to start using virtual healthcare and telemedicine. So she's going to talk a lot about um, all the momentum that we've gotten through COVID. This is kind of a silver lining of COVID. We've talked about it. More and more people are using virtual care now. So she's going to get into how, how do you keep that momentum going and not fall back into the old ways of um, thinking you have to go into the doctor's office to get an effective consultation with a provider. So sit back, relax, enjoy the show, and we're going to jump right in. All right, Mary, welcome to the podcast. We're very happy to have you here. And one thing that's been on my mind recently is um, not just the explicit costs of treating people who have had COVID and the cost of the vaccine, but uh, but the, the potential cost of the delayed care that happened, right? So as an emergency physician, from your perspective, what are you seeing currently with patients that may have missed their their last annual checkup or two, and uh, maybe they had some you know un- undiagnosed uh, condition that that they didn't get ahead of early? Uh, are are you seeing that? Is that something that we should be concerned about? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, as, as you know, in the emergency room, we see people across all health concerns, right, at all levels of disease, no matter what the issue is, and you know, in in the last even year or so since the initial wave of COVID quiesced, we've had a lot of cases come in that make you wonder, you know, what would have happened had norm- had people stayed on a normal screening schedule, had people stayed within their normal, you know, just the, the normal pattern of healthcare, right? And some very concrete examples, you know, the oncology world, right, is one that people tend to think about. Um, for example, mammograms for breast cancer, colonoscopies for colon cancer, right? You know, over the spring, I had a couple of very sad cases of folks that came in with very large tumors in their colon, completely blocking their colon, right? And these were people that were otherwise healthy, very in tune with the healthcare system, but they'd missed colonoscopies for the last year, right? And no one can really blame you. You know, people don't have a choice, you know, in the, with some of the current COVID environment. So, you know, there are a lot of cases like that. And that's just, so these are very high functioning people and now they're out of work. They're, you know, their treatment plans are much more complicated. It's a really, you know, hard course for these folks. And so I think one thing that we, you know, in the medical community, as well as employers, HR folks can all do right now is really encourage people get back to their screening, you know, and get over, you know, people have been scared and that's fair. No one's going to tell you you shouldn't have been, but I think it's safe and people need to sort of get back to that. Um, I think there are other ways, slightly more subtle ways, that it's also affected emergency care. For example, you know, people when they go to their typical PCP appointments, you know, you get routine blood work, right, which tells you how your electrolytes are doing, how your kidneys are functioning, how your livers are functioning. When people come into the emergency room feeling badly, we do a set of blood work, right? If somebody's kidney function is off, we now don't have that sense of trajectory, you know, in that sense of, okay, a month ago, you were actually fine now your kidney functions off and we have an acute problem versus mm-hmm. it's slowly been doing that. So let's get you in as an outpatient, get you your workup as an outpatient, that's fine, right? But if, if we don't have that sense of acuity, really, you know, it's a how quickly somebody's kidney function or liver function or whatever it is has gone, you know, gone off the railroad tracks, you know, that leads to hospital admission. 
you know, yeah. so that we, cause we have to assume the worst, you know, that that's sort of our job is to, you know, assume the worst and make sure it's not, you know, before we move on to something else. And that, that's a really high cost answer to taking care of somebody. Yeah. As soon as the, as soon as you have to be admitted, the cost, obviously cost of care is going to go up uh, expo- exponentially. And every, I think what you're saying, everybody's got a different baseline sort of with, with these different uh, biometrics, I guess. And if you don't know their baseline or their most recent baseline, you, you just can't know whether there's been some severe change in their, in their condition. Right. And people who are generally healthy, otherwise, and high functioning, you know, tend to do fine, fine, fine until all of a sudden they're not fine. So it's, it's really hard to know where that is. So the, we, we just need to encourage people to get back to their, their annual routine of getting all their preventive care and screening that they used to get pre-COVID. It's, it's, it's time to get back to it. Correct. Um, so d- during COVID, and I guess we're still in it, um, there were regulations that on uh, telemedicine providers and, and some virtual care providers that allowed patients to access care for free. So no out-of-pocket expense to them. Uh, from the comfort of their own home. And so what have you seen as we start to kind of get back to pre-pandemic regulations where, where some of those, uh, those maybe cost restrictions or, or cost prohibitive things might be back in place for people? Yeah, so, there, so the American Medical Association recently came out with a study about literally the numbers of primary care doc specialist, you know, they, they divided it out among the group that adopted telemedicine, including the number of patient visits that went to telemedicine over the course of the pandemic, specifically in the spring of 2020. But the numbers are really impressive. Like, I think more impressive than we even felt necessarily on the provider side as to what was actually happening. Um, and now that the pandemic has requested a little bit, you know, the numbers have come down, but they're still above pre-pandemic levels. And which is, Good. You know, and I think one of the ways that, you know, insurers and different employers have really been able to help that is by helping to, co- to cover the cost of it, right? So now it, now for consumers, it basically is the same cost as a copay to do a telemedicine visit. Um, and that just makes a lot of sense and makes, you know, and, and allows us to keep doing what we're doing and being able to provide care in this very convenient fashion. Things have been a little bit more tricky on the provider side, I think, because with retightening of some of these state regulations as to where we can actually practice medicine, it, it's tough, right? So where we can practice medicine depends on where the patient is, not where I am. So I could hang out in Hawaii, which would be nice. I should probably look into that at some point, right? So I could look in Hawaii and I can still take care of my patients in New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, Florida, because that's where I'm licensed. So I can still take care of those folks. It doesn't matter where I am, but it matters where they are. And I think it, that's because that's presenting logistical challenges, right? So, and medicine, you know, the Hippocratic Oath is consistent across the country. So wherever we are, we, we like to abide by the same principles, the same ethical guidelines, you know, how somebody's treated for diabetes on one side of the country doesn't change all that much from the other side of the country. You know, the pathology tends to be the same. The reality on tightening those guidelines is that it makes it harder for people to get care. Um, let me bring in a, a concrete example. So, Somebody, a lot of people, so if you live in the sort of tri-state New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, right, a lot of people work in New York City, right, and have historically worked in New York City. When you're in New York City five days a week for your job, a lot of people have focused their primary care in New York City, mm-hmm. right? Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. You're in the office, you can hop out of the office and- Run out at pl- lunchtime and get your physical, yeah. Exactly, right? Now, people in, in our sort of new model, a lot of people are hybrid or even just remote. 
right? And a lot of people who worked in Manhattan or anywhere in New York City, quite frankly, live in New Jersey or Connecticut or surrounding areas. They don't live in the state of New York, right? For those folks, if their primary care provider is not licensed in New Jersey and Connecticut, which is, which is separate licensing processes. So if you're licensed in New York, you're not necessarily grandfathered into Connecticut or into New Jersey. It's a separate process for all three. Mm -hmm. um, but if your primary care provider is only licensed in New York City, you can't just call them for a quick urgent care telemedicine visit in New Jersey, if you're in New Jersey, right? Or if you're in Connecticut. Yeah. And so that's leading a lot of people to need new primary care providers, you know, in the states where they are, mm -hmm. or new specialists, you know, right? And we can also talk about the specialist market. You know, I think a lot of specialists, surgical specialists, et cetera, found that they could do post-op visits virtually. They could mm -hmm. see the wound, see how the patient was doing, did not require the patient coming back to them. Yeah. Right. Talk about a huge time and cost saver, right? You're not, you can get that surgery in, you, you pick the place, yep. go back home. And six weeks later, you don't have to travel there again. You yeah. don't have to pay for another hotel. You don't have to get on another flight. You don't have to do, you know, or even just drive quite frankly, you know, an hour to another city. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so that's a really big deal from a productivity loss, from a cost perspective. Um, and sorry, just to cycle back to, my, to finish out my primary care thought, you know, people are now looking for new primary care physicians. You know, last week I had a colleague said, you know, I need, I need a new primary care doc in Connecticut. Can you provide me some examples? Sure. I sent him five or six different folks. He calls me back a day later. He's like, so the first appointment I can get is November, 2022. Oh, oh God. Yeah, I was like, well, that, that, that from this position where I'm now, I have a hard time with that, right? So primary yeah. care docs are, are tapped out. And if you're currently in a network, it's a big deal to try and try and move outside that network. Yeah. Um, and we're finding that that sort of across consumers are having a hard time with that. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, Sumas has been spending a lot of time with is helping people find primary care docs or specialists in their network you know, that, that will handle whatever it is their issue is. Yeah. So you, you're, you're trying to sort of break down these geographic barriers that, that are created by policy that maybe needs to be updated. Are, are, are the, is the provider community sort of lobbying to, to more permanently eliminate those, those, uh, those rules that you have to be, the provider has to be licensed in the state from which the person is calling it, frankly, it never made sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it never made sense to me either, but I'm not a policy person. Um, you know, I'm not in that world, so it doesn't make sense. I, you know, I think a lot of the various, you know, colleges of different types of providers are definitely working on that. And I think we'd all love to see that change. I, I can't speak to knowing a single provider that likes that rule. <laughs> you know, so um, I think we'd all love to see that break down because that'll break down barriers that'll make things a lot a lot easier for us to provide care what, what else if anything is sumis and or other uh, virtual care providers doing to break those barriers down those geographic barriers yeah so i think you know speaking of sumis what we what we do is is help people across the entire healthcare spectrum right so there are two barriers it really breaks down it breaks down geographic barriers and it breaks breaks down some of the inequities that have been sort of plaguing our healthcare system for years and how does it do that so you know folks come to when employers layer us on a, as on the traditional healthcare benefits so we're a layer on for the employees of whatever whatever company brings us on board and 
then the employees come to us with any medical question, all the way from anything from where can I find a COVID test to I need a specialist who can guide me in X, Y, and Z disease that you know can be a very rare disease you know that they can't find care wherever they are, and we can help arrange that. We can provide consultations that, since it is a consultation, we're not providing direct medical care, that can cross state boundaries. Um, and so we can get people care literally across the country. It's then up to the, the people, if, if they want to follow up in that person's office or with that person's practice going forward, then that becomes a discussion between them and they fall into the typical healthcare patterns. But we get patients the direction that they need, that they can take back to their own PCP, their own oncologist, their own, you know, you name it, specialist um, that can help provide their care and get them on the right path the first time around. Got it. So since you're really offering consultations and second opinions and healthcare navigation, really, you your your providers uh, don't need to be in the state licensed in the same state that people are calling from. But, but, but the telemedicine companies do have to play by that rule, right? So, you, you know, how do we, Mary, how do we kind of avoid go, falling back into our old pattern of underutilizing telemedicine and, and virtual care? What can we do to sort of sustain these higher levels of engagement, uh, not, non, uh, not in person? You know, there's other ways to do this, as you mentioned, even post-surgical. I never even thought about that, but what a great idea. Who, you know, if you could just stay in your pajamas and get your post-op, you know, uh, uh, physical uh, from home, what, what a great idea. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think there are primarily two ways we can do it. One is to continue what we're doing. You know, just, just continue pushing for it, continue innovating, continue making this convenient while also continuing to educate both the providers and the patients as to how to maximize these encounters, you know, and really use them to their fullest. And then the second is to erase any preconceived notions we had about the pros and cons of telemedicine prior to 2020, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because so, I think, you know, what this has been a great case study in terms of how well telemedicine has been, in telehealth in general, have been able to be implemented over the course of time. We've got to continue to ride this wave of innovation and then, you know, knock out those thoughts about who we thought it was applicable to and who we thought it wasn't. You know, the one population I focus on with this is the geriatric population, our older adults, right? A lot of people have this preconceived notion that older adults are not going to like telemedicine or it's not going to really help them very much. They're not going to be able to communicate. They're not going to be able to do what they need to do this way. That's false in my, in my opinion, you know, and I think that, you know, the depends on who you read and people can come at it from both sides, but the reality in actually having done this and worked specifically with an older adult population is that a lot of them love the fact that they can sit with a physician uninterrupted. You know, I don't have people coming at me from all angles, mm -hmm. right? It's just me and them, right? Yeah. We can have a conversation about their problems. They can show me their pill bottles, right? right. Their caregivers can sit here and here. Mm -hmm. Right. So they still have, you know, they're in the driver's seat, but their caregivers are listening. Yeah. Right. So especially if they've got a little bit of cognitive impairment, they don't have to worry about what they missed in the conversation. Right. Yeah. And their and their caregivers can be involved in the communication without addition, no additional cost to anybody. Right. Their caregivers yeah. aren't taking time off of work necessarily, aren't traveling, aren't doing any of this stuff. Um, and they can also turn up the volume. Yeah. Right. A lot of older adults can't hear very well. 
right? If they're talking to me this way, they can jack up that volume as high as they need to still, and I granted, I talk loud at baseline, but many providers don't, right? And so they can really, you know, jack up that volume and hear me and see me, you know, and blow me up as big as they need to see me um, to have the interaction. So, you know, that was a long-winded way of getting at, we need to erase our preconceived notions, but I think that there are a lot of populations, the older adults, people with chronic disease, right? Those are two groups that really drive costs and drive a lot of costs within the healthcare system in general. And if we can get into their home, keep them in their home, keep them community dwelling, right? But while staying on top of their medical problems, that's huge, right? They're not bouncing in and out of the hospitals. Yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I guess maybe the other challenge with the older population, uh, assuming that they're retired, is that they don't have an employer who's offering them a, a, a virtual care or telemedicine benefit mm-hmm. that's pushing or not pushing, but but encouraging the use of that benefit. Like who's out there reaching out to that population saying, hey, you know, you, you don't have to get in your car or have someone drive you to the doctor's office. Who's Who's kind of sending that message to them? Yeah, I, I think hopefully we are. You know, I mean, I guess that is one of the things that Sumus does that I love about it is that depending on, you know, the employers, when they layer us on for the employees, we cover the entire employee's family. Mm-hmm. So we cover parents, spouses, children, you know, depending on the, you know, depending on how much they want to layer us on, we can also cover in-laws, you know, we can cover anybody. And I think for the employees, like that's a big deal because a lot of them are healthcare proxies. Right. So if you think about it, taking care of the older adults, the parents, really, it falls to the employees. Right. right? And that's both that's stressful. (laughs) You know, that that's a lot of time. That's a lot of anxiety. Um, It it takes time just making these appointments, navigating these appointments, who their who their family member should see, understanding the disease process. And we can do that all for them. Mm -hmm. You know, while they can still talk to us from, you know, from their home, from their workplace, wherever, you know, maintaining their other productivity, like put that on us, let us figure it out for you. And then you show up, (laughs) you know, you show up and help guide the healthcare for your older adult while they're on, while they're on the phone with you as well. Yeah. Do, do Mary, do providers, um, I don't know if there's been any studies on this, but do do providers tend to actually spend more time with a patient if it's a virtual visit or consult? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think minute for minute, uh, it depends. Probably not, mm. but perception is yes. Yeah, yeah. And it and it feels like yes. It feels like yes to us as providers. I think it feels like yes to us as patients. Yeah. Um, because we're there. You know, right. we're, it's focused yeah. time. It makes more time. I I think the one caveat to that is like specialist. You know, doing some specialist consultations and things like that. That is a much longer period of time between the specialist in person, you know, via the video consult between the specialist and the member like that, that conversation is definitely a lot longer. Um, I think in the general, you know, sort of telemedicine, urgent care type world, you know, I think those interactions are probably about the same. Um, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's going to be data coming out on that shortly if it doesn't already exist. So (laughs) yeah, I'll be curious to see that. It does seem that from the patient standpoint, because you don't have the time spent driving to the to the office the time spent waiting in the in the waiting room you know filling out forms on the clipboard or whatever you have to do i mean it's just right to the right to the consultation right to the time and so even if it's not true it must kind of feel like a much more efficient process 
for, for the patient. Um, and it, it probably does feel like, okay, I, I, I got undivided attention from, from this provider. They, they weren't bouncing in and out of the, you know, out of the, the patient room. Yeah, I think the other nice thing about video consultations is that patients prepare a little differently for them. I think they're allowed the mental space to think about what they want to ask and what mm. they want to get out of the encounter. Whereas when there's yeah. so much chaos of a visit of an office visit and getting there and being in an office and you're just like, am I next? Are they next? Do they call my name? Do they not call my name? You know, like that goes away. The mental clutter of that goes away and they can actually just focus, even if they're just sitting, waiting for you on whatever platform you're using, you know, they're focused in on, okay, I'm here to talk to the doctor yeah. or wh whichever provider. What do I want to ask? What do I yeah. want to get out of this? And that's huge. You know, that, that allows for better outcomes that allows for better understanding of people's healthcare issues. Yeah, the time that they would have spent driving to the doctor's office, the provider's office, they could use to really mentally prepare to get their questions together to, you know, maybe be out, not that I'm encouraging people to use Google as a source of truth, well, but you, no, they could but, be out there Googling and, you know, yeah. getting themselves ready for it. No, but you know what, that's a really, that's a whole nother, I mean, you can send me on a whole diatribe on that, but I, I it's a great point because people who Google and look things up for themselves come informed. And yeah. the reality is people are going to look things up anyway. So I'd rather they do it ahead of time and then get to ask if it, yes. if it's applicable to them, if it makes sense, if whatever source they were looking at is a trusted source, like I'd rather they do that up front and then be honest that they did it yep. and tell me what their concerns are. Cause I think that drives a lot of concerns for folks And this way, then we can talk about it and get you the answers you need. Yeah. And if their caregivers are there with them, they'll be able to jump in as well and ask questions that maybe, you know, the, the patient would, would not would forget because it's a stressful situation for them. And so I, I think it, it definitely opens it up for a much more consultative visit. Yeah. And that's one of the other things that we spend a lot of time at Sumas doing is prepping our patients for when they have these specialist consults so that they can really maximize the time with the specialists mm. and get all their questions answered in one, one sitting. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how can employers encourage their employees to utilize this benefit and, and, uh, and not stop and go back to the pre-pandemic way of, of, of avoiding uh, virtual care? Yeah, that's really important. I think employers can help you know, reinforce the use of telehealth, telemedicine, various platforms over the course of the year, not just at the you know, open enrollment timeframes where they're really promoting the different products that they have. Um, I think employers can also be, you know, be very circumspect about what they're choosing to overlay on their medical benefits, right? Because looking for solutions that run the gamut of healthcare problems and healthcare issues makes, makes it much more usable, right? Mm -hmm. If somebody can, and the ease of use, right? So if somebody can just, you know, pull up the platform, type into a text box what their issue is, and we take it from there, that makes something very usable for folks, you know, and I think we've also had a lot of success with a different HR groups, you know, redirecting their employees, like when their employees come to them and say, hey, all of a sudden I've got this problem, you know, it often comes up because employees are worried about missing work or missing, you know, missing whatever aspects of life exist, you know, but work tends to be high on the list of opportunities, you know, when mm -hmm. they go to their HR person and say, what do I do, a lot of HR folks will redirect them to us, to assume us in this case, if we're the overlaid um, platform. And that's really helpful, you know, because I, I talk to a lot of members who come to me and say, well, my HR group 
recommended I just talk to you and see what you can offer. And inevitably mm -hmm. we can get them what they need. Um, so I think those are a couple ways that employers can really help the situation. Great. Let's, uh, let's wrap it up. And Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go though, we always ask our guests to answer a handful of rapid fire questions okay. just so we can get to know you a little bit better. Are you up for that? Sure. Okay. All right. We're heading into fall. What's your favorite season? Oh, interesting. You know, actually fall. I, mm. yeah, um, not because you just let in with that, but I actually, I love fall, you know, especially September. It's such a beautiful month. Um, a little crisp in the air, but still warm afternoons, great for outdoor adventures and sporting activities. Yeah. You know, kids are excited to be back in school. It's just, it's, it's sort of a rebirth every year, I think in the spring. I really love it. I'm oh, yeah. sorry, in the fall. Yep. Yeah. I think that's going to be a popular answer and that would be mine as well. What about your favorite cake flavor? Can I go with ice cream cake? Yeah, sure. Why not? I what love kind of ice cream, cream cake. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so strawberry and vanilla mixture oh. with the little cookie cream in the middle. Oh, mm. that's very specific. Yeah, it's really good. Cool yeah, if I had that. to go for a regular cake, I'd go red velvet. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would you live? Uh, is my current house a bad answer? Mm -hmm. um, I love where I live, but I live in the same house I grew up in. I'm a little strange. Oh wow! Um, we bought our house from my parents when they had when they got older and had to move. Um, it's just you know it's a happy place, good memories, and yeah, raising my place. own family, and it's it's a nice place to live. Um, wow. But I think if you took my current house out of the picture, um, most interesting place I think I visited from a cultural perspective was Japan. It was just so different mm. um, and fascinating. What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Probably would go back to Japan. <laughs> um, yeah, there are some interesting raw shellfish options there that I'm not sure I would do again. Lastly, Mary, our theme this year at One Digital is rise. So we all went through a tough, uh, tough 2020, and uh, actually we're kind of in the thick of it still here in the middle of 2021. So, but how how are you going to rise this year in 2021 and into 2022? That's a great question. I think um, for me, it's, you know, I've spent the last decade of my life in, you know, both in emergency medicine, but also in the education sector and really working hard to educate uh, the up medical students, really, and the next generation of physicians. And now I'm transitioning into a world of trying to educate the consumer, the medical consumer, and to how to best take advantage of our healthcare system. Um, and with that, I, you know, I hope to rise over the, the course of the rest of this year and into 2022 in terms of rising, you know, both with Sumus and otherwise just expanding my friends and family plan to everybody, right? My friends and family have this plan where they literally just pick up the phone and call me, right, yeah. for whatever, whatever they need. And I think that's, that's really what we're trying to do. And I think that's how we can best get people the healthcare access that they need. And I'm, I'm hoping to make that happen. That's awesome. Yeah. You want everybody to have the experience that your friends and family have, have, you know, trusted professionals on call uh, to, to help them out, to help guide them through the healthcare journey. All right. Well, Mary, thanks again so much for joining us. This has been a, a great conversation. I've enjoyed getting to know uh, you, getting to know about Sumis, and um, this is always top of mind for me and for our clients. So it's a, a great subject to chat about. Uh, and and I, I loved hearing about your uh 
Well, I got to know you pretty well. I got to know your favorite cake. You live in the house that you grew up in. So it's been a great conversation. Do appreciate uh, everyone listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate it when you do that. This has been yet another episode of Friends with Employee Benefits. <laughs>